Hello, 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 and welcome back to my podcast, That Show Fucked Me Up. It is I, the beautiful, the talented, the funny, your host, Mariel Vizcarra. Cue in the applause. Yo, what is up? What the fuck is up, Kyle? Just kidding. That's a... Is that a Vine reference? I don't know. Uh, that was a little too aggressive. That was a little too aggressive of an intro. Let me start all over. Uh, rewind. Hi, everyone. Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> Did you see how my, to- my tone of... My, not my toin. My tone of voice, take a shot, changed. Ah. <sighs> But yes, we are here. Um, episode three of Mayor of East Town. How are you liking Mayor of East Town? Let me know. Um, a lot of shit's been going on. Uh, a lot of internal, like external and internal drama going on. But let me tell you, it gets this episode gets a little crazy. It gets a little hectic. Uh, but just let's. Are there any updates with me? I guess I don't have Rona anymore, so that's great. Uh, my doctor told me that after tomorrow, I'm not contagious. Uh, so I guess I could start going out again. But honestly, I don't miss like going outside. I enjoy being home. That's on being a homebody that interacts with people only the minimum. Um, you see, I'm the type of person that is loves being home. I love being by myself. I love my own co- company. But every now and then I do enjoy going out and just catching up with friends. So I guess I'm right in the middle of like a introvert and an extrovert. I'm an introvert that can you can have a conversation with, I guess, and I'll keep up with you and I'll make you laugh for sure. I think I I just enjoy making people laugh and saying stupid shit. But then after a while, I'm like, after a couple hours, I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like to interact with people. I'm exhausted. After a couple hours, I'm like, I'm trying to go home and watch my shows that I love so much and, you know, just do me. Is it because I'm a Libra? I don't know. They do say that Libras are fake. Maybe I'm fake. What do you think? Do you think I'm fake? <laughs> I might be shit. I don't even know if I'm real or fake. Existential crisis right now, but it's okay. It's fine. Other than that, no other updates. I did recently, however, another, I guess I, guess I do have, no, it's not a person. I wouldn't consider it an update. I did have a, a dream recently where I cut my own hair and then it was like oh I'm just gonna cut off a little bit and then I just cut off a lot <laughs> and I just looked up what it meant in Google and it's it says mainly uh, any haircut dreams you have are to do with the fact that you desire change in your life if you've dreamt that you have cut your own hair you may be at a stage where you realize that it is time to leave the past behind shit who am I leaving behind? What am I leaving behind? I, mm, this worries me. This worries me, but also excites me in a way like what's coming, you know? Should I be concerned? Uh, you know what, dreams? Stop sending me subliminal messages. Just just speak up. Just, just, just 
make this change come? Or do I have to do something for this change to happen? This is too complicated. Of course, I didn't put my phone on silent. Of course. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This that, It was a weird-ass dream. I don't know why I'm sharing this with y'all, but maybe you've had uh, similar dreams and then something has happened in your life. So hopefully it's something good. <laughs> Imagine it's something badass. <laughs> uh, not manifesting anything bad in my life. Only manifesting good things. Health, uh, love, uh, the prosperity, uh, success, happiness. Shit, let's manifest all those good things. And while I'm manifesting for myself, I'm also manifesting for you because I want us all to eat. We're all, I'm the type of person that just wants good things for all the people that I know, regardless if I interact with you or not. Like, if I see you being successful and following your dreams and doing cool shit in life, I'm like, hell the fuck yes, you know? I'm not a jealous bitch. I'm like, they're getting their coin, they're following their dreams, they're happy, and I'm rooting for all of you. And speaking about manifesting, I'm doing it right now at this very freaking moment. I am manifesting that I will be paid for doing this podcast. I'm putting it out into the world. I'm putting good vibes out and just, you know, imagine just being able to get paid for the things that you love to do. That is an artist's dream. And yes, even as a podcaster, I consider myself an artist and I would love to do that. Because, you know, I don't want to do things just because I need to survive, you know, and I feel like when you work for a company or something and you're not passionate about it, it's just like, I'm just doing this to pay my bills, to be able to buy food and shit. And I want to, you know, work in a way that, you know, doing this podcast is considered work for me you know writing is considered work but just imagine it I do it with so much joy in my heart and just to get paid for it shit that would be amazing so yes if you believe in manifesting and all that shit uh manifest that for me too because if I eat we all eat fuck yeah but I already went off on a huge fucking tangent Oh, why do I curse so much? Why am I such a grosera? And uh, for those of you that don't speak Spanish, grosera is pouty mouth. No. Yes? Pouty? No. No. Pouty? No. Isn't pouty like when you have big lips? Uh, dirty mouth? No. What does grosera translate to, dude? What the heck? Grosera in English. Rude, no. Yes. I don't know. Sorry, I I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> okay, whatever. Regardless, let's just get started because I went off on a huge tangent and we could just get started with the episode. <laughs> episode three. Enter number two. 
Scene opens up with Mare drinking coffee and she's just staring at Drew as he plays and Siobhan sits on the couch. Then it cuts to Mare and Sable being at the coroner's office and she's giving them the report on Aaron and she lets them know that the approximate time of death was between midnight and 2 a.m. Then we see John and Billy and they're in the car driving somewhere. Billy's apologizing to John saying that he fell asleep and that Kenny snuck out and he took the gun with him. They're out in the woods looking for Kenny, and they think that he went out there to kill himself. Cut back to the coroner's office, and she's telling them that there's no evidence to suggest that Erin was sexually assaulted, and that the bruises in her body appear to be consistent, and that the missing finger is due to a gunshot wound, wound, and that she sent out Erin's fingernail scrapings to the lab, but she doesn't think that they'll get a hit on DNA. Then we see John and Billy, and Billy wants to know why they're looking for Kenny there, and John tells him that someone saw his car uh, parked by that location the previous night. And then Billy sees Kenny, and he's passed out by some rocks near the creek, and they're calling out his name. They rush over to him, and Kenny wakes up, and he was literally just asleep, like he fell asleep after drinking. And when they ask what he's doing there, he says, I got him. And when they ask him what he was talking about, he says, Dylan, I killed that son of a bitch. Next, we see Mare and Sable leaving the coroner's office, and Mare's like asking herself, if this was not sexual assault, why take all of her clothes off? And uh, she says it might have been done to make it look like it was, and that it might have been a date got, gone bad, but Mare doesn't agree with him. So Sable was the one that thought that it was like a date gone bad. And Mare doesn't agree with him because it was a really cold night and that people would, wouldn't get frisky outside when you could do it in the backseat of a warm car. And Sable is like, right. Mare thinks that Erin was not killed in those woods and that she was probably killed somewhere else and her body was just dumped there since no one at the woods heard the gunshot. Gunshot. Gun? Gun? Shot. Oh my God, take a shot. I can't say the word shot, dude. Oh, there you go. No one at the woods heard the gunshot. Okay. <laughs> um, then Mare gets a call from John and she lets him know that she will meet him at the station. Cut to Mare interrogating Kenny and she reads, reads him his rights up and asks if he wants to talk to her without a lawyer present. Kenny says that he does and he tells him that last night he picked up Dylan and then he shot him. That he killed him for killing his little girl. And Mare lets Kenny know that he didn't kill him and that Dylan is still alive. Cut to the hospital and we see a doctor explaining that the bullet didn't hit any organs and that they removed the bullet during surgery. Dylan's dad is like, is he going to walk again? And the doctor lets him know that he doesn't know and that Dylan is very lucky to have been brought in and that he wouldn't have survived if they hadn't brought him in. We see the parents staring at Dylan in the hospital bed, and Dylan's mom just starts crying as she hugs her husband. And let me tell you, Dylan's parents look so sad and concerned. Like, I really don't understand where they went wrong with Dylan, because they, genu they genuinely seem like good people, and Dylan is an asshole. Uh, but again, that still doesn't mean that he deserved to get shot. Next, we see we're we're seeing an old home video, and it's Kevin, Mare's son, and Carrie, uh, and they're video they're being videotaped by Shabon. Kevin is playing the guitar, and Carrie, Carrie is telling Kevin that Shabon is so annoying, 
And Carrie tells her Bond to get the fuck out, and Kevin tells her to watch her language, and she's like, why? Because of the baby? Shaban is editing the video um, on some type of like video editing app in her computer and she pauses the video and does a voiceover. The first time I noticed my brother was different was when my mom took us to see Harry Potter. Kevin's tics were bad that day. He started snorting. The kids in front of us turned around and one of them said fucking weirdo. My mom was so embarrassed we left before the trailer ended. Uh, it cuts. Uh, we hear a bell, a school bell ringing, and Siobhan is packing up her stuff. And we hear a teacher say that their documentary edits have to be done by Friday. Cut to Mary cutting Drew's nails, and Siobhan and Helen are in the room, and Drew's saying, ouch, ouch, that hurts. Like typical little kid behavior, saying that something hurts when it doesn't. And Siobhan tries to distract him by playing I Spy With My Little Eye, uh, and that helps him. Then Drew says, Nana said I might have to live with my mom, and Siobhan just stares at Mare because this comment caught Mare by surprise. Helen is like, uh, and I oop, like she doesn't, obviously, <laughs> obviously Helen doesn't say, and I oop, but she just like, like stares at Mare, um, and Mare tells Drew that Nana is so silly, and that Drew is always gonna stay with them, and Mare is like making faces at Helen, like why the fuck would you tell Drew that, and Helen just walks out. Next, we see Helen playing a game on her iPad and Siobhan tells her that she's going to go over to her dad's and Mare walks in and asks Helen why she's telling Drew that he might have to go live with his mom and Helen defends herself by saying because he might have to go live with his mom. Mare's clearly upset and tells Helen that Drew is four years old and how they don't know what's going to happen and how Drew has lived in this house his entire life and, and Helen says that that is the precise reason why they have to tell him to prepare him just in case it does happen and so he doesn't feel like the ground is falling down beneath him. Helen says that she called someone uh, called Kay Kathy Dryers that works at Child and Youth Services because she wants to know how this child custody thing works. And Mary tells her that she's out of line for telling Drew this and Helen just has had enough and screams out, she is his mother. She's the mother. She'll get custody and there's not a damn thing you and I can do about it. And Mare says that she'll figure something out and Helen for and for Helen to stay out of it. Lori walks in and she's like right in the middle of the argument. And Lori's like, I'm picking up a weird energy in here. And Mare responds, yeah, it's the energy of betrayal. Such a drama queen, our Mare. And Helen is like, cut it out, Mare. Jesus Christ. Lori asks Mare if she can talk to her for a minute. And Mare looks over to her mom and says, that means for you to fuck off. And Helen starts walking out and telling Lori, good luck. She's in one of her asshole moods tonight. And basically, they just, they both tell each other to fuck off. Bro, this would never, never be tolerated in a Mexican household. If I ever spoke to my mother like this, first of all, I would be making this podcast with God as my co-host because I would be dead. And that's a fact. Like, it doesn't matter what age we are. Like, we can't know. Like, it's, it's like a respect thing, and there's obviously lack of respect between Mare and uh, Helen, her mother. Mare tells Lori that next time her mom goes to church, she's going to take all of her stuff and fucking burn it. And then Mare asks Lori, what's up? And Lori begins to tell Mare about how Jess Riley and her mom stopped by her house the previous night and how she told her that Dylan might not be DJ's real father.
Maris confused and asks why she would go to Lori and not the police. And Lori tells her that she asked just the same thing and that the reason that she didn't go to the police is because she thinks that the real father is Frank. Mayor at first is like, no way. But Lori says that Jess saw Frank and Aaron together twice and af after school and that Frank drove her home and bought her diapers and wipes and formula and that he he brought it into her house. And Lori is like, why would Frank do all that? Miss Mayor, Lady Hawk herself, puts down her beer and is like, I'm going to go find out and walks out of her house and towards Frank's house. And Lori tells her to slow down and not to go right now. Frank, Faye, and Siobhan and Siobhan's girlfriend are all there. And it looks like they're playing a board game, just having a jolly old good time uh, until Mare walks in and asks if they can talk. Frank is like, you remember Faye's son, Patrick, and his girlfriend? And the camera pans over and we see that we see them. We hadn't seen them before. And Mare lets her know that it will only take a minute. Frank tells her that they're in the middle of the game and if they could do it tomorrow. And Mare tells him that he lied to her the other night about Aaron and how he said he'd never really talked to her and how it was a lie. Mare walks out upset and Frank walks after her. And Mare says, so you knew her more than you were letting on. And Frank lets her know that he did, but that they could have this conversation a different way or another time. And Mare tells Frank that there's no different way to have this conversation since she's investigating a murder. They're literally having this conversation right outside the front door and everyone inside can hear everything and Siobhan goes over to them. Frank tells Mare that Faye's son is there and Mare's like, oh, I'm sorry for forgetting my manners, like super sarcastic. Siobhan opens the door and asks mom what's going on and Mare tells her to ask her father and how he lied to her about how he knew Aaron and how there's a rumor that is going around that Frank is the father of the baby. Oh my god, the embarrassment. Frank is shocked by this uh rumor and Mare asks him what the what the truth is and he confesses that he did help her out with buying her stuff and how it was right after Kevin died, so their son, and that Aaron confided in him, so he bought her a few things because he felt sorry for her. Mare straight out asks, Did you have sex with her? Shabon replies, Mom, are you fucking serious right now? Mare tells Shabon to get back into the house, and Shabon says no, and fuck you, Mare, and Mare tells her not to talk to her like that. And oh, how the tables have turned, or how the kids say it these days, how the turntables, because in the previous scene, Mare was telling her mom to fuck off, and now that Shabon is doing the same thing to her, she has an issue with it. Mm -hmm. The example she puts for her daughter, and now she's doing the same thing for her. Uh, the irony. Uh, Frank tells Siobhan to stay put and he says that he did not have sex with Aaron and that mares know that he would never do something like that. Frank wants to know where he where she heard crap like this rumor and Mare lets him know that uh, someone told Lori. Frank is just shocked by this and Mare asks if he's willing to take a paternity test and he says that he he will do it and that he's not afraid of the test in the same way that he's not afraid to talk about their son ouch marriage just like walks uh walks away and back into her house and we see a shot of Faye, and she looks super embarrassed and frank just walks in uh back to his house and apologizes to like Faye and her son and his girlfriend we're back at the hospital and mare's talking to dylan's parents and dylan's mom is saying how aaron was 
a good mother and how during DJ's uh, weekends with them, Erwin would text her and tell them that she was dying to see DJ. And Dylan's mom would sneak him out so that Erin could just hold him for a quick minute before giving him back and how Dil- Dylan didn't like how she would do that. Mara apologizes for what happened to Dylan and tells them that she needs Dylan to submit a DNA sample. His dad says that Dylan didn't kill Aaron, and Mare tells him that they received information that Dylan might, might not be DJ's real father. His dad is upset by this as in saying that they don't even know if Dylan will ever walk again and how now this has to now he has to go through a paternity test. But Mare reminds them that she's investigating a murder and that puts uh and that kind of pulls at Dylan's mom's heartstrings because she tells Mare that she will talk to her son. Cut to Frank in an interrogation room with uh, Detective Sable, and Sable asks how he w- what he was doing on Friday the 10th, and Frank tells him that he was celebrating his engagement at a small party at his house, and that around 10, uh, they left for a bar, and that he got home at 2.30, and how John was the one to give him a ride home. Sable wants to know how uh, who John Ross is, and Frank gets angry and says, Mare knows him, he's married to her best friend, and Sable is like, of course he is. Sable asks if he, uh, if Frank would submit a DNA sample, and Frank agrees, but lets him know that he never had sex with Erin and that he certainly didn't kill her. We see Mary getting to the station, and Chief Carter is waiting for her and tells uh, her that Erin's phone records just came in and that he left them by her at her desk. He also gives uh, gives her heads up and lets her know that Frank is there with Bay. Mary thanks him for the heads up and walks in and sees Faye and Mary just says morning and Faye gives her the cold shoulder. <laughs> and then we see Sable tell Frank that he's all done and Mary's pretending to look through the file, but he she sees that Faye completely ignores Frank and as he walks out. Ouch. Talk about the newly engaged period being over quite fast. <laughs> Sable asks Mare how it went with the Hinchies, so Dylan's parents, and Mare lets him know that they're going to talk to him about giving a DNA sample once he wakes up. Mare informs Sable that she just got a timestamp records from Aaron's cell phone and how the last call was made around 10.55 p.m. Sable makes a connection about how the last call was right after the fight at the woods and asks who she called, and Mare responds, Deacon Mark Burden. Mary tells Sable that Mark Burden is a priest in St. Michael, Michael's Parish. And then it cuts to Mary and Sable getting to the house right next to the church. So I, I think it's called the rectory. And Father Dan answers the door. He sees Mary and he asks, have you finally heard the call of God? <laughs> Mary t- tells Sable that Father Dan is her cousin. And they ask if uh, Deacon Mark is there. And he lets them know that he's over at the church. They start walking over to the church and Sable asks Mara if there's something she's not, if there's someone she's not related to in East Town and then ask if they should bring uh, Deacon Mark into the station for questioning, for questioning. And Mara just says, nope, we're going to question him in the church and how, we'll ma- how it will make it harder for him to lie. Once inside the church, Mara tells Father Mark or Deacon Mark, that since he was the last person that Aaron talked to before she was mur- murdered, that they need the context of their conversation. Mary is recording him, and she asks where he was the night of January 10th, and he responds that he was at the rectory all night, and Sable asks what they discuss- what 
they discussed in their call. And Deacon Mark lets them know that they spoke briefly and that he he could tell that she was crying, but that he didn't get a lot of information from her, that there had that he just caught that there had been some type of betray betrayal. Mayor wants to know why a 16-year-old who had friends and had a father would call a deacon from the church. And Deacon Mark says that he doesn't see it as odd because he made himself available to everyone in the parish uh, and also the youth group and how, in his opinion, the members of the youth group need him the most. Mayor asks if there, he was ever alone with Aaron, and he replies that there were some times when they were alone, and Mayor asks if that worries him, being alone alone with a child due to recent reports about priests. Uh, Deacon Mark answers this question so eloquently, and he says, of course, but I can't allow that to stop me from fulfilling my vocation. That's a battle I can't avoid. I won't. Mary wants to know what exactly he is battling, and he lets her know that human weakness, loneliness, doubt, hatred, irresolution, and how the battle is not his, but Christ's battle and how he's just a vessel of Christ. Mary makes a joke and asks if it was him on the phone with Aaron or if it was Christ. He lets her know that it was him, but Mary finds it weird that he wouldn't call the police and let them know that he was one of the last people to speak with Aaron before she was murdered. And Mary wants to know how Deacon Mark ended the call, and he just told her that she was loved and God bless. Mary ends the recording and thanks him, uh, before they walk out when they're outside mayor asks for consent to look through his cell phone and how she could come back with a warrant but that him consenting consenting basically makes it easier for both of them and he gives her uh his cell phone we see mayor getting home and she yells out to helen to see if she has seen shaban mayor says that her ma her room is a mess and that it smells like pot Helen tells Mare that Shabon's band had a radio show over at the college, and then Helen notices that Mare's all dressed up, and she asks her where she's going. Mare tells her mom that she has a date, and Helen is surprised and says, no shit! And Helen wants to know if, some, if it's someone she knows, and Mare tells her that his name is Richard and that he's a writer. And Helen is super excited, and Mare just tell, tells Helen that she doesn't know him and that what if he's like the elephant, man? And Helen just tells Mary that she's just glad that he exists and that she's going out and moving on with her life. Helen tells her that uh, Helen tells Mary that she should parade Richard right by Frank's house and that he should grab her ass or something. <laughs> Great advice from a mom. Richard gets there and Helen invites him in and asks if Mary is going to introduce them. Richard is like, I can see where Mary gets her beauty. You know, just kind of like making Helen feel good. And Helen tells him that Mare has told her all about him. And Mare is like, no, that's a lie. I literally told her about you 30 seconds ago. But Helen wants to know where they met. And Mare responds that at the local tavern. And Richard tells Helen that he actually managed to convince Mare to go to, an, to a restaurant for their date. But Mare is like over the conversation. And she's like, okay, we're going to leave now. Bye. And they just leave. Cut to this girl in like a recording studio and she's introducing Siobhan's band and she's letting the audience know that she just saw them a couple weeks ago and how their, how their set totally blew her away and how this is a local band named Androgynous and how they have a bright future ahead of them.
Shaban and the band are prepping, and Becca, Shaban's girlfriend, is slumped in the couch. Shaban tells her that they're live in five minutes, and she's like, I'm fine, but clearly she isn't. She's like literally falling asleep. Shaban looks over to one of the other band members, and she's like, I thought we talked about how this was a big opportunity for us and how you weren't going to pregame. And the guy is like, we didn't, but Becca, Becca ate like a pan full of edibles. And the dude is like, oh, we could take our edibles right now and they'll hit us right after the set, which is perfect. But Shaban is like totally against this idea, but he still takes the edible, like he doesn't care. <laughs> the girl that hosts uh, the radio show, her name is Anne, calls Shaban over and lets her know what like the process is and how she's going to introduce them and then hand it over to uh, her or the band. And honestly, she's being super flirty with Shaban and my girl Shaban seems flattered, like she's feeling her. Becca starts coughing and out and over she just pukes herself like legit right on her shirt and Shaban starts apologizing to Anne but Anne is super understanding and she just brings her extra sweater and tells Shaban to put it on Becca and how she's gonna go grab some towels and Shaban just apologizes again and it's and then starts to change Becca. Cut to Mara on her date with Richard, and she looks like she's having a really good time. She's talking about how funny Drew is and how great Shabon is with him. Mara wants to know why Richard became a writer, and he lets her know that his home life was pretty shitty and how his mom was just like always in depressive episodes. And he's about to start talking about his father, but then he um, asks if Mara was close to her father. And Mary confesses, confesses that her dad was her best friend and that he passed away when she was 13. Mary tells Richard that her father was a detective and that if he had been anything else, she would have followed into his footsteps. Richard says that she probably misses him a lot and Mary agrees that she does. And Richard says, well, at least you still got your mother. And Mary tells Richard that they can't stand each other and how Helen moved in when Frank moved out after the divorce and that she moved in to take care of Drew after and then she cuts herself and then she she lets Richard know after her son died. Richard apologizes to Mary and asks if her son was sick and Mary says that he was but then she just kind of changes the subject and tells Richard that Drew's mother wants custody of Drew but that he has always lived with them and how uh, Carrie has been in and out of rehab and Mare's just trying to find a way to keep uh, Drew with them. Richard confesses that his ex took his son away and he lets Mare know that she had every right to do so at the time because he was not ready to be a father. That it was 1996 and his son was two. Mare is curious about what happened to Richard's son and if he gets to see him and Richard lets her know that he has a good relationship with his son now. Richard gives her some advice that she should probably sit with Drew's mother to come to some sort of agreement because at the end of the day, that is Drew's mom, but Mare is also his grandma and that she needs to be in his life. Uh, next, we see Shabon going back to the studio because she forgot her purse. Uh, okay, Shabon, of course, we've all pulled that. We've all pulled that trick where we're like, oh, I forgot my purse. I'm gonna go get it or I forgot something. You know, you know which trick I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, and Anne is like hands it back to her and asks if Becca was okay and Siobhan says that she is and that she has, she just has to learn to party way less. Anne tells Siobhan that she thinks her band is great and that she has a beautiful voice. There we go. Anne flirting again. And then Anne invites Siobhan to a concert with her and tells her that she's inviting her out on a date. And Shaban just tells her that she can't and apologizes and then leaves. So cut to Mare driving. And then the next scene, we see a policeman showing her an evidence bag with a finger. So Aaron's missing finger. 
The policeman tells Mare and Sable that a group of kids found it while playing football. And Mare asks if the canine is out now, and he responds that the canine is there and how they caught a scent. Mare asks the canine officer about what they found, and they tell her that the dog uh, caught two scents, one by where the finger was found, and then another was sent right by the bridge. And Mare tells the officers to have uh, forensics process the scene. Mare asks Sable if the, ch the shooter shot her here and why would they drag her body over to the other location. And Sable speculates that it would be to hide the body while they went to get their car and to dump it at the creek where it was actually found. Mare says that there is no bullet launched in Aaron's body and how the casings and projectiles would be in the location where the dog cut the scent. Uh, Sable says that there are at least two bullets due to the injuries to Aaron's body, but Mare disagrees and she argues that she has two bullet entries, but that it could have been caused by just one bullet, like if her hand was up protecting her face, or that it, she could have been shot like a hundred times for all they know. Sable says that they could bring in metal detectors and Mare uh, tells him that they're going to bring the firearm canines. And Sable's confused by this because he's like, you even have firearm canines? Like, your, your department? And Mare replies that they don't, but that the county does, and that she needs someone, cough, cough, Sable, to make the call. Sable says that those bullets could be half a mile in every direction, and if she really wants him to, like, call the county to bring the dogs, and Mare asks if he has any other ideas. And Sable just goes ahead and makes the call to County to get the dogs. Cut to Sable telling Mare to call it at night. It's been a couple hours now and Mare is still searching for, like, for the bullet with a flashlight. So it's dark out. Uh, Mare shows him a nick on some wood on the ceiling of a building and tells him that the nick was caused by a bullet ricocheting. And then she goes over to a, to a tree nearby and that is where the bullet is lounged. Next scene is a doctor doing some tests on Dylan and he's putting pressure on his legs and feet and asking if Dylan can, can feel it. Um, and he, he is able to feel the pressure. Uh, the doctor calls Dylan lucky and tells him that, that the best thing he can do right now is rest and he just walks out of the room. Dylan's mom is carrying baby DJ and he starts getting fussy. So she tells him that she's going to go take him for a walk. And Dylan's, uh, Dylan's dad takes this time to talk to his son alone. Uh, he tells him how Mary came by and how there were some rumors about DJ not being his son. Dylan is like, what the fuck? And says that DJ, of course, is his son and how these rumors are the last thing he needs right now. And Dylan's dad tells him that this is the same thing he told Mare, uh, and Dylan is just upset by this information, and his dad apologizes to him for even bringing it up, and that, but that he still thinks that Dylan should consider doing a paternity test just to be sure. Cut to the next scene, and uh, it's a community food drive, and there's a picture of Erin, like, in her honor. And then we see that Brianna is working at her family stand, and she's getting some nasty looks from the people there. And let me tell you, everyone is there. Helen, Mare's mom, is there selling tickets, and she's sitting right next to the Carols uh, from the first episode. Um, and Mrs. Carol is going on about how the police should be looking into this, this one person, and she's like Kathy Leahy's son because he's very strange. Uh, Mr. Carroll tells his wife that he isn't strange, but Mrs. Carroll just keeps going on about how he's the type of person that leaves town and that 10 years from now, uh, you find out that they murdered someone in Florida. Helen is like, do you mind? There's a child present because Drew is sitting uh, there with her. 
We also see that Lori and her daughter Moira are there selling tickets, and so is the rest of the of their family. And Mare is helping John cook some burgers. Mare uh, says that she needs cheese, and John is being being very salty, and he just says that he's not in charge of the cheese. Mare asks what's uh, what's up his ass and how they're working two feet apart and how he hasn't said a word to her all day. And John tells Mare that Frank told him how she made him submit a DNA sample. And Mare defends herself and says that she didn't make him do anything and that Frank willingly went to the station. John asks Mare if she really thinks that Frank had anything to do with it. And, and John lets Mare know that if Frank needs an alibi, that he was the one that drove him home at around 2.30 in the morning and that he even has a picture to prove it. And he shows Mare the picture of uh, Frank asleep in a couch. We hear somewhere, someone calling out Mare's name and it's Sable. And Sable calls her over and says that they got an anon anonymous tip and that they should be looking into the circumstances as to why uh, Deacon Mark was transferred to the St. Michael's Church in Easttown. Sable asks Mare if her cousin, Father Dan, mentioned anything about the circumstances of this transfer, and Mare responds that no, but that she hasn't asked him. We then see Mare and Sable getting to the rectory, and no one is answering the door, and Mare makes a call, and I'm assuming, I'm assuming that it's to Father Dan, but then we see Father, or like Deacon Mark, looking at them through the window, so he is in there, but he just didn't open the door. Cut back to the hospital, and Dylan is asking his dad to bring DJ over and to put him on his lap. Uh, his starts... His dad starts arguing, like saying that the doctor said not to carry anything heavy, but Dylan disregards his comment and just asks him again to put DJ in his lap. And his dad just gives in and brings DJ over. And Dylan is just staring at at DJ and he's his breathing gets shaky. Like I think it's just hitting him that he might not be the father of this baby that he's cared for. Well, mm, Care for is a strong word uh, of this baby who th he thinks he has been a father too. <laughs> uh, cut to Mary in bed and her phone starts ringing and she looks at the collar and seems annoyed. We then see her at the Carol's house and there is there are some spray painted titties in the shed in front of the Carol's house. And it has the caption, Betty's titties. <laughs> Mrs. Carroll is furious and says that she wants it removed immediately. And Mr. Carroll basically tells her to chill out. And, and she's like, settle down. What if it was your penis painted out there? Then Mr. Carroll says, I don't know what the big deal is. They don't even look like yours. <laughs> Bro, Mr. Carroll's got jokes. <laughs> Mrs. Carroll just says that she knows who did it and points to the young neighbor who is sitting outside uh, their his like their house and Mayor asks Mr. Carroll if he finally managed to install the security system and he says that he did and that he's gonna go get his glasses. Mayor just goes up to the security system herself. Uh, she's like, oh my god, I can't wait for this dude to go get his glasses. So she starts playing around with it, and she does see uh like footage of the kid who spray painted. So I'm we can't really make out who it is. Uh. But the kid is flipping off the cameras and but I guess Mare recognized him because she deletes the video herself. Mr. Carroll comes back and asks ask if she saw anything and she says nope and lets Mr. Carroll know that it still isn't working and then Mrs. Mrs. Carroll is like oh big surprise you can't e even do you can't ever do anything right and the Carrolls just start arguing. Freaking Mare making Mr. Carroll look bad like he finally got that shit to work. 
And he, she's like, I'm going to delete this and make him look like he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, cut to Mare and she's with Carrie. So I guess she took Richard's advice and went to go sit down and have a conversation with her quote unquote daughter-in-law, I guess. And Mare asked how Carrie, uh, how it has been going at that sober house. And Carrie lets her know it's it's been going and how they just got a bunch of new roommates and how one of them brought bed, bed bugs with her and everyone is freaking out. Carrie's like, I'm assuming you're here because you got the court papers and you should have known that I was going to go like go for my son. Mare tries to bargain with Carrie and ask if they can wait until the school year is over. And Carrie lets her know that she has waited long enough and how she has missed out on enough of Drew's life already. Carrie tells Mare that she just signed a lease on a new apartment. And Mare tells her that she doesn't think that she should disrupt Drew's schedule. And Carrie just says that kids are resilient which I agree. And she asks Mare if she remembers anything about when she was four years old. Carrie tells Mare that soon her and Drew will get into a routine and that he won't know a life but the one he has with her, like with his mom. Mare brings up the tics that Drew has been having and Carrie just lets her know that she doesn't care about any of that shit. Mare tells her that she wants, doesn't want to give up Drew and that if they go to court, she's going to tell the judge that she's an unfit mother, that she has psychotic, psychotic braids, Mare brings up the tics that Drew has been having and Carrie lets her know that she doesn't get she doesn't give a shit about any of that. And Mare tells her that she doesn't want to give up Drew and that if they have to go to court, she's going to tell the judge judge that Carrie is an unfit mother, that she has psychotic breaks and that she couldn't raise a kid to save her life and how Carrie sees ghosts in trees and that she talks to people that aren't there. Carrie tells her that she's going to tell the judge that she's on medication now and that she hasn't had an episode on, in 16 months. And Mare's trying to talk over her and Carrie just yells out, he is my son, goddammit, mine, not yours. Carrie whispers, Kevin fucking hated you. Do you know how much he despised you? And if he knew that you were raising our son? So yes, I want my son back for me, but also for Kevin because he deserved a lot more than you. And then Carrie walks away. Bro, every ouch, fuck. Look, Mare was obviously. I don't want to say that she was not a good mother. I want to say I want to give her the benefit of the doubt because it seems that her and Frank Frank were really young when they got married. Probably really young when they had Kevin. So. You know, when you become a parent for the first time, and this is just me talking out of my ass because I'm not a parent, and this is just experiences that I've gathered from other people. When you're a parent for the first time, you're out here uh, just blind in the dark because you've never done this before. You don't know how to raise a fucking kid, so you try your best, and then when your kids have issues, dude, you, you like, you've never you've never like experienced that before so you don't know what to do so of course you're gonna fuck up your kids a little bit you know all of the issues that adults have or most of them stem from childhood trauma so yes you your kid might hate you in the long run but you know they might not know all the things that you try to do for them and you know okay let me just end this rant real quick at the end of the day, your child 
is always gonna blame me blame you for their traumas and for the shit that went wrong in their life you know regardless if you were a good parent regardless if you, you know it doesn't matter it's just what's gonna happen it's the way of life so listeners if you de- decide to have kids uh just know that <laughs> and for those that have kids already good luck try to give them the least amount of trauma possible <laughs> Okay, so Mary's back in her office and Sable walks in and lets her know that uh, Kenny, so Aaron's dad, was the only one registered uh, to carry a firearm and that they're probably looking at a family member or an intimate partner. Mary says that Dylan and Kenny are the only suspects and how they can't confirm Kenny's whereabouts for the night of Aaron's murder and how Kenny might have killed Aaron over an argument about the baby and then Kenny shot Dylan because he blamed him for getting Aaron pregnant. But Sable doesn't buy it because why would Kenny admit to shooting Dylan but not killing Aaron? And Mary just lets him know that he would be surprised about the things that people do and do not confess to. Sable brings up Brianna and how they know she had bad blood with Aaron. And Mary just says that Brianna couldn't have shot Aaron in one location and then dumped her in another. And that if if it was her, then Dylan could have like potentially helped her. Uh, both Sable and Mara say the part about Dylan at the same time, and Sable ye- yells yells out, "Jinx, you owe me a coke!" And damn, Sable really is a child compared to Mara. Like you could really see the generational and age differences with like the little comments and jokes that he makes, uh, and that Mara does not find a tad bit funny. Sable brings up like uh, Deacon Mark and asks Mare uh, about the phone and that if she found anything substantial and Mare lets him know that there was nothing on his phone, just a few texts between him and Aaron around the time that DJ was born. Sable notices that Mare is kind of going through it, possibly because of the conversation she just had with Carrie. And uh, he asks her if she's okay and Mare just tells him that she's tired of staring at the same case files. She changes the subject and asks how he cracked the cold case of the 10-year-old girl. And Sable just says, no magic, just worked the case, became consumed with it, obsessed, read the statements, went back to interview people, friends, family, neighbors, everyone. Just kept doing it to see whose stories changed, whose stories shifted until it cracked. And then there was her neighbor, and he worked construction, and it was where her body was found. And then Sable just says, we brought her home, and that's all that matters. Next, we see Mare going through some boxes where they keep, like, the evidence uh, at the station, and we see her take something from one of the boxes. Cut to Siobhan working on her documentary, and she's talking into her mic as she walks around her room, as if she was doing a voiceover. And she just says that a month before her brother killed himself, he left the house one morning and didn't say goodbye or kiss his son. And he just left the waffle and the bread toaster. Shaban says that two days later he sent her this video, and then we and then she plays the video on her computer, and it's a video of waves, and then it pans down and we see Kevin's feet. Cut to Shaban going over to the studio where Anne is doing her radio show, and Anne looks really happy to see her, and Shaban hands her back the sweater that she lent Becca. Shabon asks if the concert ticket is like the concert ticket date is still on the table and let Anne lets her know that it is. Uh, cut to Mare at the bar and they're playing Mr. Brightside. Hell fucking yeah. White people anthem, but this song fucking hits, dude. I'm Mr. Brightside coming out of my kitchen. Just kidding. But uh, 
killer the killers uh sirs sirs please do not sue me <laughs> Uh, but Mare gets a text and it's from Richard and he's asking her how it went with Carrie and she doesn't respond. And Sable, uh, coincidentally, is also at the bar with his friends and he goes over to Mare. Mare asks him what he's doing there and he tells her that he's there with some friends from his 15-year high school reunion. And oh, Sable is hammered and it is not cute. Um, so from here, we could see that you know, there's like a 10-year 10, 10 age difference uh, between them. Uh, so again, even though Sable is hammered, he notices that Mare is not looking too good and asks if she's all right. And Mare lets him know that she's trying to drink away a bad day. Sable tells her that he, like, he'll help her and orders another round for her and gets a shot of Jameson for himself. Mare asks how his reunion was, and he tries to lie and say that it was good, but then he takes it back and says that it was awful because his, his ex was there and that she was almost uh, his wife, but she called the wedding off two weeks before it, before it was supposed to happen. Fuck no, dude. Imagine the trauma. The trauma from thinking you're getting married, <laughs> and then you're like, damn, I'm going to be a husband. And then two weeks before it happens, your fiancé is like, you know what? I thought about it, and no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but Sable is, like, in his feels uh, because he tells Mare that he doesn't know what happened, that one day he woke up and his ex is like, I'm not in I am not in love with you. And Sable is becoming, like, a sad drunk, and he says that he's getting to that age where he's starting to look back at his life like, this is where I thought I would be and this is where I actually am. Then he asks Mare if he's making any sense. Mare confesses that she always imagined herself to be a cop and that she just didn't imagine her life to fall down around her so spectacularly. Uh, Sable apologizes for Mare's son and says, I bet you were a good mother. And Mare just tells him that she wasn't. Well, at least at least my girl Mare is honest, you know, like she's not trying to put up appearances that she was a good mom. Sable's friends call him over and they're like, shot, 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 shot. Uh, and Mare tells him to go, but he tells Mare that he would rather stay there with her. And he gives her flirty eyes and no, I do not like this at all. No, no, don't ruin a good partnership with flirty eyes, Sable. I do not like that. And I'm putting my finger up like when moms tell you no. That's exactly what I'm doing right now. But, you know, my girl Mare sh like shuts him down with just her stern eyes. Like she gives him that stare like, what the fuck are you doing? And then Sable gets to the point and wobbles away drunkenly. We see Mare look into her pocket and she looks at the packages at like the little packages that she stole from the evidence lockup room and then she puts them right back like in her pocket and it looks like she stole some type of drug cut to deacon mark getting out of his car and then he opens his trunk and takes out a pink bicycle and throws it over the bridge into the creek it's the next morning and mare's sitting in her kitchen drinking coffee and smoking out of her vape the doorbell rings and it's Chief Carter and he asks Mare if they can talk outside. Mare goes outside and Chief Carter asks her where she went last night and Mare tells him that she stayed home and got some sleep. Chief Carter tells Mare that the station got a call about a woman named Carrie Layden 
and ask if that name rings a bell. Mayor says yes. Uh, Chief Carter says that she got pulled over and that they found two pa packets of heroin in her glove compartment and that she swears that they weren't hers and that Mayor somehow planted them in her car because Mayor wanted to make sure she didn't get custody of Drew. Mayor argues that Carrie is an addict and how she would lie about anything, but Chief Carter says that Carrie described the stamp of the heroin packet and how he remembers that it was taken into evidence from a case from a previous year. He tells Mayor that he took a walk into the evidence closet and noticed that the lock was changed from 66 packets down to 64. And Mayor is like, and you think it was me? Mayor, Mayor, Mayor is caught in her fucking lie and she's still trying to pretend it wasn't her. Oh, God. Chief Carter tells her to cut the bullshit and how he needs to talk to the DA about Carrie's charges and how part of him wants her to never wear a badge again. That he's putting her administrative leave and that if the, that the story is that these two cases have put a strain on Mayor, that she's still dealing with the grief of, her, of losing her son. Mayor tries to argue and the chief tells her that he has recommended grief counseling and that she even agreed that it was necessary. He tells her that she's doing her a favor because he knows what she has been through and he knows that she's worth saving. Then he asks her for her gun and badge and Mayor just walks inside and she goes grab and grabs them. Mayor comes back outside and hands them to the, ch to, hands them to the chief and he puts them away. And he warns her to not even think about working on Aaron's case. And he leaves. End of episode. Okay, let's start right with our segment, starting with that shit's traumatizing. Oh my fucking God. Imagine your ex-wife accuses you of fucking... Having sex with an underage girl, so statutory rape, she accuses you of statutory rape, and not only that, not only that, yo, not only that, fucked up fam, she also accuses her you of murder, not like literally accuse you, but like, you know, kind of makes it seem that you might be a suspect in front of your new fiance, and in front of your fiance's uh, son and his girlfriend. I'm. I got embarrassed for Frank. I got, like, secondhand embarrassment for my boy Frank. Um, you know, I feel like Mare or, like, Frank deserved more than just being accused. Like, maybe a conversation, yes. He lied about, like, not knowing her that well when he kind of did. In fact, he, like, bought groceries for her and helped her out a bit when the baby was just born. But I don't think that he should have been put in the spot like that. I feel like there's a time and a place, and that was not it. That was not a good fucking time to bring that up. Oh, my God. And then... <sighs> Just not, not even being in Frank's position, but being in Faye's position where, like, there's a rumor going around that your fiancé had sex with a little girl. Well, not like, you, you, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. And now, like, you have to show your face around and you're going to be like that stupid wife that's dating that guy that everyone thinks had sex with Aaron. Oh, my God, my computer is being so rude right now. Stop giving me alerts. How do I silence alerts so they won't come up when I'm recording so rude and so nasty of my computer? Uh, freaking Lenovo. Just kidding. I love my, my Lenovo. Uh, it's cute and affordable like me. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Disregard. 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 Back to the segment. So, yeah, just... 
imagine uh, embarrassing for everyone for everyone involved even mayor she thinks she's such a badass just coming in there like oh you lied to me you lied to me did you have sex with her like oh my goodness the trauma the trauma and i i mean this episode had a lot of crazy shit uh, so the next one would be Carrie telling Mare that her son hated her. Yo, what's what's up with everyone just you know coming for Mare by telling her that you know either that her son killed her himself because she's such a bitch or that her son fucking hated her. I thought we had already had a conversation about how you don't bring up someone's dead son to an argument because that's like the lowest of the fucking low. No, you tell her something else, you know, but it just I feel like they bring it up because they know that's where uh, it'll hurt Mare. So they're trying to bring as much hurt as possible because, you know, well, in Carrie's situation, she, you know, she not only. Did she lose her son, like, custody of her son, but she also lost, lost, like, her partner or, like, the father, I mean, the father of her son. So, I guess, like, I get there's a lot of hurt involved and maybe she might blame Mare for taking away uh, Drew. But, I mean, Carrie was an addict, so I think taking Drew away from her was the best decision that could have ever been done because then he would go into the system and we already know. We already know. What happens to kids that go into the system? The system does not care. The system does not give one single fuck about these children. So thank God that, you know, um, Kevin's family stepped up. So Mayor and Frank and Shabon. My respects for fucking Shabon, dude. Like, she's still a, a child herself, and she's out here racing a kid. And, yes, I mean racing because she, she like, takes him to school. She makes sure that his homework is done. She helps with cutting his nails. Like, stuff like that that should not be a child's responsibility or a teenager's responsibility. But she has stepped up to do it, and, you know, I bow my head to her, take off my hat, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But... Yes, so that's on my that shit's traumatizing. Oh, and last thing. Well, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait because that's not really traumatizing. That's just more fucked up. But let's go on to our that shit's heartwarming. So this was heartwarming because it made me fucking laugh. But, you know, uh, easing some tension from this fucking stressful ass episode. But fucking someone drawing titties, titties, eh? titties, not... <laughs> Why am I such a paisa, dude? I can't fucking pronounce anything. But someone fucking spray painting titties in front of the Carol's house. And then Mr. Carol saying like, oh, I don't know why you're even upset. Like, Betty, those don't even look like yours. <laughs> okay, the titties that were spray painted in front of her house in that shed were kind of like, uh, like, you know, like saggy titties so maybe mrs mrs carol is she's got the yitties like those things are probably sitting so you know put some respect on mrs carol's name uh you know she may be old but she's still packing if you know what i mean okay i'm sorry that was lame that was fucking lame but yeah so if they don't look like saggy titties what do, what do they look like you know that's what i'm trying to see well i'm not trying to see you catch my drift you get me you get me and the second thing that's heartwarming and i brought it up a little bit in my 
that shit's traumatizing because, you know, the heartwarming and the traumatizing have a way of coming together. But, you know, just the time when, uh, you know, Mare was cutting uh, Drew's nails and Siobhan was holding him and Helen was in the room and Siobhan, to distract them, was playing uh, I Spy With My Little Eye. And honestly, this scene is very heartwarming because everyone that needs to be there is there well except frank but you know he's next door he he just got a fiance he's he and you know he already fucked it up well not him but you know the 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 engagement is already fucked up or like the what is it called the blah 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 when you get married you're going on a honeymoon so the honeymoon period is already over because i mean the fucking bomb that mare dropped so he's at his house fiancé things with his new fiance but you know it's so heartwarming to just see all these women uh that love and care for Dries so much just being in the same room with him even though helen wasn't doing anything she was just there witnessing the moment and you can tell how much drew means to all of them and I guess the cute moment was ruined when <laughs> Drew is like, oh, Nana say that I might have to go live with, you know, my mom. But I mean, I feel like Helen was Helen was right about telling Drew this because children deserve to know stuff like this sort. Like, what if one day he just wakes up and then he's like, you know, I'm, I they tell him that he has to go live with his mom. You know, that's definitely going to be a fucking shock to a child. So I feel like Helen was in her right to let him know that it's a possibility, you know, because then he will be prepared in case it does happen. And then Mara went off on her and told her she was a bitch or whatever, or fuck you or whatever, you know. Y'all remember, we literally just went over the episode. But I think that Helen was in all her right to tell Drew that, even though Mara disagrees. But back to the what I think is so fucked up. And yes, it was good with it was done with good intentions. But Mare planting drugs on Carrie when Carrie is trying so fucking hard to get clean and be with her son. And, you know, I know that Mare is our protagonist and she's not a perfect character. She's not a perfect like protagonist and which I love. I love who, who wants perfection. My dog being so rude and so nasty right now by bargaining. But uh yeah like i'm such a libra because i feel for both of them like i feel for mare because she does not want her grandson to be taken away from her because she feels like he will be safer under her care and i feel for carrie because she's been fighting her addiction and she's gotten clean and she's got herself a place and yes it's not luxurious it's not what drew is used to but you know she's trying and then she gets these drugs planted on her. So I'm happy that Mare got reprimanded because, you know, especially in, like, the police department, you know, like, police sometimes suck or most of the time. As we see here in the United States, the police are not great, so they just cover each other's asses. So it's nice to see Chief Carter reprimand her for her actions because she fucked up. She fucked up. And we get to see her, you know, we get to see the chief come over and, like, let him know, like, I'm not fucking stupid. Like, I know what you did. I know what you fucking did. Give me your badge and you're good. 
so that was kind of nice. It wouldn't go in my that shit's traumatizing segment, and it's not in my that shit's heartwarming segment because it doesn't fall, but I didn't like any of them, but I still wanted to talk about it because it's my podcast and I can, but I think that is all for today i think we've gotten to the end of our episode episode three of mayor of east town enter number two uh so you know the drill thank you so much for listening if you want to follow us on social media on instagram where that show f me up f is spelled e-f-f-e-d on twitter where that show fuck me up dad is spelled d-a-t and fucked is spelled without a u um uh subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts we're literally everywhere i think well everywhere that anchor puts us on um you know leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, and by us i mean leave me or the podcast a five-star review on apple podcast i know i always ask for it but i would really really appreciate it this way the podcast goes out to more people and more people get to join the fucking party join the fucked up fam because the fucked up fam is where it's at. It's where you have to be at. And you already know our last words. Our last words are coming. Be gentle. Be kind. And don't be an asshole. Unless you absolutely have to be. Goodbye. Goodbye.